Had a good week at VBS. Everybody's tired, right? Awesome, yeah. Come straight from work or whatever you're doing and then right into high energy. So uh, everybody was pounding sugar cookies and Cokes and monster drinks and complaining that they were sore and tired. So that's a good thing. Um, how many of you have ever been to that place where you're on the, on the field or whatever and you're like, me, 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 pick me. You ever been there? Some of you maybe, okay. And uh, you've been to that place, and so as Miss Mary talked about, you kind of you want to get picked, and so you raise your hand like, "Hey, pick me," or maybe the one that you have the answer, and the teacher like sees that you have the answer, and you just keep kind of raising your hand. Please pay attention to me, and they they know that you've got the answer, and you've always got the answer, so they ask every single other person in the class, and they're like, "Oh, finally, pick me!" And so this morning, I want us to grasp this idea of that we kind of have this tendency to go, God, pick me, pick me, pick me. And that once you're picked, once you've said yes to Jesus, it radically changes our relationship with one another, but it also radically changes our relationship with God, our Heavenly Father. And that we don't have to raise our hands and say, pick me, pay attention to me. In reality, we're in such a close relationship with Him that He's adopted us and brought us into the family that it, that it changes how we do our life and our spiritual life with Him. So... This morning we're going to continue this idea of creed and what does it look like to, to understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus and what it means to be a Christ follower. So all of us have had different experiences with our fathers or with our dads. And some have been good, some have been not so good, some have been bad, some have been horribly bad. And so I know sometimes this idea of God as your father is, is kind of hard to grasp or hard hard to get a hold of and to, and to think, because if you've had an extremely unhealthy relationship with your earthly father, it's hard to separate that and, and have this idea of, I can have a healthy relationship with my earthly father. And so as best as you possibly can, I want you to kind of hopefully wipe that slate clean and say, I want to hear what the word has for me today about what, it, what I can have and what I have access to as a heavenly father and hear the truth there and let's set aside the earthly human perspective for just a moment, what you've experienced in your past. And so even Jesus, all throughout the New Testament, he talks about God as his father more than any other term. And so even in the most difficult time of his life, he's about to go to the cross and he's praying this prayer of God. If you can separate me from this, if you can, anything else can happen but me going to the cross. In that very moment, he cries out and he says, Daddy, which is a term of endearment, but in a term of, hey, Dad, I need you. And so in Mark chapter 14, verse 6, he cries out, Daddy, Father, come listen, hear me as I cry out to you. And maybe you've, if, you've, if you're a father or a mother, you've heard that cry and there's a distinct difference in cries, right? You, you, you learn, you, you know that there's a hunger cry, you know there's a hurt cry, you know there's a like really, really hurt cry, you know all those different things. And so I imagine in this moment that Jesus in the depths of understanding that he is about to go to the cross and he's about to experience separation from the Father that he's never experienced before. He's been in perfect fellowship and relationship with the Father for all eternity. And he understands that in just a little bit, at the moment of death, he's going to be separated from the Father. And so we find out literally that he tears of blood, that his body sweats out blood because of the intense pressure of knowing What's going to be happening? And so in that moment before that, in the garden, he's praying and he cries out, Daddy, come listen to me. So I want us to understand that we have access to the same Father that Jesus cried out and to that in our times of stress when we need a place of refuge and when we are hurt and when we are struggling and we're in pain, that we can cry out to that same Father and he is there ready 
to rescue us and to allow us to hear us and, to, and that depth of the relationship that that takes and what that is. So if you have your Bibles, look with me in Romans chapter 8, and we're going to look at Paul as he talks about some good theology and some ideas of what it means for us to have God as our Father. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 12. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, so he's talking to the church, and, and for us as, as brothers and sisters, he's explaining some things. And so um, there's some really good stuff in here that we're going to kind of skim over um, that are good messages for another time because of what I want to get to here. Dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. Now, that would have been good, right? That's good stuff to know that, hey, this past week, some of the things that maybe you've been tempted with, some of the things that you've struggled with, you don't have an obligation. As a child of God, you don't have an obligation to those things. And we'll explain that a little bit more in a little, in a little bit. Verse 13, for you, if you live by those dictates, you will die. But if you live through the power of the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, and you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you've not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit when He adopted you as own children. Now we call Him Abba Father or Daddy Father. Now this idea of adoption is that He brings us in to his family. Now, in the old days, adoption is a little bit different than today. And, and today, I mean, we sometimes people spend twenty, thirty, forty, up to fifty thousand dollars or more to adopt a child. So they they know that hey, I want to bring in, and that's a good idea. It's a biblical idea of adopting people and bringing children into your family and making them a part. And so you count the costs and you say, hey, husband and wife, we decide, or whoever we've decided, we're going to adopt some children. And so we go to different agencies and think through what we want and how we want it. We kind of select children. And so you can go to China, Romania, all these different places, or even here in Fayette County, and pick children that you want to bring into your home. And that's a great thing because children that don't have mothers and fathers need mothers and fathers. And it's a growing problem that I think the church should probably step into. But again, that's a whole other thing. So for us and what it understands for us to be adopted and what it means to be brought into a family. I know some of you have been adopted and you've been taken into a family and you have your mother and father's name and brought into a whole different culture than maybe what you would have been brought up in. And so in Jesus's day, adoption was a little bit different. And so what would happen is there would be men who were wealthy, that they had great um, trust funds. And um, so they had a lot of money, they had a lot of property, they had a lot of stuff, but they didn't have the one thing that they needed to pass their name on, which was a son. And so they would get to that certain age where they're looking around, they're saying, hey, listen, it's probably not physically possible for me to have a son. It's not going to happen. And so they begin to look around for a potential heir. And where would they look? They would look for someone, a family that would have five, six, seven sons. And so you understand that in that day, if you had more than a couple of sons, son number three, four, five, and six, they weren't going to get a part of the trust fund. All right? The first few are going to get it. And at my house, we, we tell that with kids, we have a trust fund. Trust me, there is no money. Okay? Um, it's not going to happen. So we're, 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 uh, it's going to be the thank the Lordy trust fund, you know? Um, that you get a, a cent, maybe. And um, in those days, when you were adopting, you were saying, hey, listen, I've got money, and I want to bring you in, and you're going to be an heir of mine, and you're going to get the rights and privileges of my last name. And so in Jesus' day, someone would, with those, the power and authority and a trust fund, would go around, and they would find the perfect son for them, and they would adopt that son. And the father, obviously, the biological father of the son would have to give up his rights and privileges to parenting and to seeing and to calling that 
young man his son, which would be a difficult thing to do. But also, if you understand, your son is not going to have anything. They're, they're, they're going to probably be poor. They're probably going to, for the rest of their life, will struggle. And then someone comes along and says, hey, listen, I'm Bill Gates. I've got a whole bunch of money. I've got a whole bunch of stuff, and I want to pass on uh, my money. I want to pass on my, my rights and privileges to being a Gates child. You get that opportunity to do that. Most of us would say, hey, that sounds good. Maybe they can help us in our retirement, you know, or whatever. And so that happens. So they would go before the judge, and the judge would say, Father, let's just say, hey, Father Little, you're willing to give up the rights and privileges of your son to this man. I'd say, yes. And then this man over here would say, hey, Mr. Gates, you're willing to receive and accept the privileges and the responsibilities of what it means for this son to become yours and and everything. They would say yes. And they would repeat this process three times. And so the biological father would have three opportunities to give up the rights repeatedly and say, yes, I give up the rights and privileges to my son, and he will no longer be my heir. And after that third time, the judge would then stamp, and it would be sealed, and it would be done with. And at that moment, the child who did have the last name of Little would now have the last name of Gates. It would now have all the privileges and rights and everything that came with being a child of Gates. And so you can imagine going from no trust fund to supersized trust fund and how that would change. And so the deal, the struggle for us as children of God is that so many times we continue to live over here as children that don't have a trust fund, as children that don't have hope, as children that don't have something to look forward to, as something that's before us that we don't have. Yeah, we're an heir to something, but it's really nothing because there's nothing there. And we struggle with living over here and saying, listen, I've got access to everything because my father literally owns everything. He has rights and privileges to everything. And so we struggle with this because we're convinced We've bought into the lie that we're still over here, that we're trash, that we're junk, that our past. Do you really understand that my mama, do you know my mama and daddy? Do you know where I grew up? Do you know the stuff? Have you checked my 23andMe DNA? I am not a child of the king. I'm a child of trash. And so for us, the struggle is not necessarily going from there to here, but it's living in here and understanding that we have all complete access to God the Heavenly Father and everything that it means to be an heir and to be a child of His. And how powerful that is and what a joy and what a pleasure that is for us when we kind of get into that place. And so the things that you struggle with, the temptations that you struggle with, the things that hold you back in your past that you're over here sitting with is that you have bought into a lie that that's still a part of you and that's what defines you. And what Jesus is saying that when we say yes to him, that we've moved from here to over here and now let's start living in it. But you still bought into that this is... My last name is over here, and this is true I am. No, you were adopted into God's family, and now you have hope. Now you have a new purpose. You have a new vision. Your resources are unlimited. You can do and be and see and go wherever he wants you to go and wherever he wants you to do. You just got to listen to his voice and go and do what he asks you to do because you are a child of the king, and you have an all-access pass to wherever he calls you to go. You've been adopted into the family. Let's continue on. Where are we at? Verse 14? 13? Who knows? Here we go. Verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Verse 15. 
So you've not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves, all right? Because we're children. Fearful slaves are afraid of what could happen. You could be fired. You could be killed. You could be put out to pasture. You could be deemed nothing. And we have a tendency to live there. Instead, you've received God's spirit when he adopted you as his children. Now we call him Abba Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. Everything of his is now ours. Remember, he even says, Jesus says, ask and you shall receive. So many times we don't ask because we don't believe that we're worth even asking the question. Now listen, I'm not someone who's going to say, hey, ask for a new Lexus and you're going to get it. What I am saying is that an intimacy of the relationship, you can sit down with the Father and cry out to Him, and He understands, and He will give you the right words, the right wisdom, whatever you need in that moment. May that be Alexis? It may be. But probably not. It's probably going to be the truth that He loves you and He cares about you, and quit believing the lie over here that you're not even worth even talking with and having a relationship and sitting down to and next to the Father. Some of the most beautiful times for me is when your kids crawl up in your lap and just sit there. And they have no agenda other than to be in the presence of you as their father, as you as the mother. And you just kind of lay there. You're watching TV or whatever you're doing, and they, your kids crawl up in your lap, and they're just, they're just there. And our Father desires for us to do the same thing. That You know what? My kids don't request anything in that moment. They just want to be in my presence. And in that, this is what Jesus is talking about for us, is to just enjoy the presence of the Father, that we're heirs of that. What We even have the privilege and the opportunity to crawl up in the Father's lap and just to say, hey, I'm here Let me enjoy some moments with you. Because God is my heavenly Father, I have love that's unconditional. Listen, because of who we are and because we're human or whatever, none of us are in love relationships that there are not conditions. Sorry. I know that we have loving spouses, husbands and wives, but there's always in some way, somehow, in some shape, sometimes, somewhere, however, there's always some conditions, some way, because we're human and that's how we work. The only time that we're in an unconditional love relationship is between us and God. And most of the time and all the time, it's God to us. We always have a tendency, again, to place conditions upon God. God, if you will do this, then I will do this. God says, listen, I unconditionally Love you, and we see that by the way that he pursues us. In Romans chapter 8, verse 38, it says this I am convinced that nothing, say that with me, nothing. Say that again, nothing. What's the opposite of nothing? Everything, okay? So, nothing, that means nothing. That's the Greek. Nothing can separate us from God's love. What can separate us from God's love? Awesome. So why do we allow stuff to separate us? Because we don't believe that we're worthy heirs of the Father. Nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, angels, demons. And he continues to list all these different things. And then look at verse 39. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, there's that word again, what? Nothing. And all creation will ever be able to separate us. From the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us. You're sitting here and you're thinking, yeah, but I've got this. Yeah, but this is the thing that I struggle with. Yeah, but these are the things that, that I hold on to. Yeah, but, but here's my heritage. Here's my deal. Listen, it says clearly nothing can separate us. 
You're a child of God. You're in a relationship. You've been adopted. Your adoption can't be rescinded. You can't be sent back. You can't be going back to the old family. You're now an heir. You have a new last name. You have a new family. Now it's us living in the new family, the new relationship that we have. Nothing can separate us. This is a love that's unconditional. Verse First uh, John chapter 4 says this, This is real love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as a sacrifice for us. In other words, real love is that we see that God pursued us and, and went after us and counted the cost that even though we were against Him, even though we hadn't even known Him, even though we weren't pursuing Him, Real love is that he pursued us and understood that we could possibly turn away from him, but he still pursues us. That's what real love is. He counts the cost and he was all in and he gave everything so that we could have a relationship with him. Because God is my heavenly father, I understand. I get a peek at what unconditional love is like. Because God is my heavenly father, I also have strength that's unlimited. In Psalm it says this, God is our refuge and our strength. You ever had that moment where maybe you're, as a parent, your kid falls down and they skin skin their knee, and then when you're, you're it's like your first kid, what do you do? You hop up and you run over and you like you hug him, you're like you're okay. And, and and over time you realize that that hey, it's like your second or third or fifth or twelfth kid, and you realize then they fall down and they scrape their knee and you just kind of sit there and you watch. And you realize that sometimes they cry, sometimes they don't. If they cry, you get up, but most of the time they look at you and see if you're coming to be the refuge. Listen, here, God says, I am your refuge and your strength. When you fall and when you're in pain and you hurt, he runs to us and he grabs us up and he says, it's going to be okay. Because, there, listen, life is messy and life stinks and there's going to be moments where we have to cry out, and it's going to be hurt, and it's going to be painful, and He's ready in times of need for us. He's always ready to run and to go. It also says in Ephesians chapter 3, I pray that from His glorious unlimited resources, that He will empower you with inner strength from His Spirit, that we would, as in that moment, whenever we're going through those difficulties, literally because God resides with inside of us, that He carries us through some of those difficult times that we can possibly go through because he empowers us, literally motivates us. Literally, there's dynamite strength. There's resurrection power. The same power that resurrected Christ from the grave resides with inside of you through the spirit of Christ and that there's nothing that we can't go through. There's nothing that we can't push through when God is inside of us, moving us and motivating us and empowering us, not with personal strength, but with Holy Spirit God's strength pushing us through. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, we get an insight into Paul. And Paul is the author of Romans and in much of the New Testament. And he was a great man of God, obviously, and well-studied and well-known. And we still kind of watch him and, and, and model our lives after him as Christians. And, and one of the things that he said is, that, listen, even as much as God has freed me from there's still this one thing, this thorn in the side of the flesh that continues to burden me, that I wish that God would just wipe it out. And so he's got something. We don't know what it is. Some think it maybe was his eyesight or whatever it is. But there was something that, was, that he struggled with on a daily basis that he, he knew that was there, and he wanted it to go away, but it wouldn't go away. It was whatever it was, and it was constantly there by his side. And he's like, it's like a thorn in the side. And every time I think about it, it's there, and I can feel the pain, and it's that, it's that annoyance. 
You know what I'm talking about? You ever walked outside barefooted and you got a little sticker? And you get the sticker and it's there and you get the sticker out, but then there's still something there. You can continue to feel it. And, and that's what Paul's got. Every time he takes a step, he feels it and he remembers and he knows, one, that he's human, that he's got a weakness. And here's what he says. My grace, God says this to him, my grace is all you need. My power, God's power works best in your weakness, Paul. So now Paul says, I'm glad to boast about my weakness. So that the power of Christ can work through me. Now this is upside down thinking. My dad said, power through it. My coaches said, listen, it's starting to hurt a little bit, huh? You can't breathe? Push through it. Move through it. You kind of had this encouragement. You kind of want to go and you want to do. And so anytime it began to get rough, as guys were taught, pick up by your bootstraps, go through it. Keep moving. And here Paul is saying this, there is going to come a time and a moment when you realize that you're at the end of yourself. And that's the moment when you realize that Christ empowers us. It's in our moment of weakness when we understand that it is not, I cannot do this on my own. That thing that's a thorn in my flesh that I've tried over and over and over to get rid of, I want it to be gone. And God says, listen, through your weakness and your recognition of the fact that you are not God and you're human and that you can't do this on your own, in that moment is when I empower you and you experience fullness of life. You experience life as it can possibly be. Because God is my heavenly Father, I experience unconditional love and I experience strength that is unlimited and I also experience life that is unending. Look at Psalm 16, and you will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living you with you forever. One of the things that, that as a father is, is um, I get the joy of taking my kids all kinds of places. We travel all over the place. I spent 12 hours on Tuesday driving from here to College Station to Round Rock to College Station back to here. It was a beautiful day. All kinds of different opportunities to see the, the sights of town. And so as we're doing all this driving and all the different times that we do the driving, it's an opportunity for me as a father to have moment times of just time as a father with my kids and so it's they're they're set in the car they're not going anywhere at 70 miles an hour i've trained them you cannot get out of the car okay so as a parent i mean that's one good thing i've taught them but also as we're just kind of going along and you know and and life is noisy have you ever noted that that life is noisy even when we get in the car you've got podcasts you've got music you've got kids sometimes they're playing on their phones or they're texting or snapchatting or whatever and there could be five people in a car and nobody's doing the same thing just my car Okay, so you know, I mean, have you ever been to a restaurant now? You can go to a restaurant and you'll see people sitting at the table and there's four or five people sitting there and nobody's actually looking up at each other. You understand? Okay, so there's noise in our life. And so here what God is saying to us is there's moments where you need to just stop the noise and to do life together. And so those are those moments for me. Most of the time it seems like it's in the car or in the truck and we're driving along and we're listening to music or whatever, and so we'll just I'll just kind of turn down whatever's going on. I'm just like, hey, how's it going? Oh, you know, da-da-da-da. And I'm like, okay, cool. And then we just try to, try to dig down a little deeper and get into that. And, and listen, here's one of the things that I've learned, though. I have a daughter and I have a son. And there are things, there are certain things that I can't teach my daughter, and then there are certain things I can't teach my daughter because I'm not a girl. Okay? And so that's very true. Okay? 
And so there are things that you as ladies experience and know and understand that I would never even begin to grasp or even ask the questions, even know, like what is it, you know, the the things that I need to teach my daughter, I don't even begin to to understand what I need to teach her. Now, my son's a different story. Like I've I've done a lot of dumb stuff as a guy, and so I understand a lot and uh, have an idea of what it's like. And so those are those moments where he and I have conversations and, and talks about stuff along the way and so hey you know what this is what it's like to shave let's get the shaving cream out let's do all this let's you know your body's changing you know what those girls are going to walk by and you're going to go whoo you know all that stuff and so we have those conversations whoo yeah there you go you know what i'm talking about right okay and so those are those moments where i can talk with him and have deeper life conversations and here all that stuff is based upon relationship. Whenever you want to talk deep with someone, it doesn't just happen in an instant. It's not an instapot. It's not a microwave thing. It's a lifelong time of development of relationship. And so some of the deeper things that we've talked about as father-son and as father-daughter has been in the car. We've stopped the noise, and we just kind of talked, and we looked, and we kind of broke through all this stuff. And just sometimes we cry. Sometimes we're laughing. Most of the time in our car and in my life, we're laughing. Because the most difficult things, sometimes the most scary things, I want to laugh at them so that we can kind of dig into them. But here's what God says, is that he says this, I want to help you along the way of life. There's no one who's wiser, there's no one who's walked the road, there's no one who's seen more in life than our Heavenly Father. And that there's those moments where we just have to stop the noise and just sit down with them and say, God, Father, I need your wisdom. And there's nothing that brings my heart more pleasure than when my children say, Dad, I need your help. I don't have the answers. I don't understand this. I don't know what this means. And there's sometimes that as a as an earthly father, I have to say, I don't understand. Let's Google it. Or man, it's been a long time since I've done that equation. But you know what? I continue to search and find the answers. The cool thing is, is our Heavenly Father doesn't have to Google it. He is Google. And so just be persistent on saying, I need answers. He provides life to the fullest and life that's unending. And it's this unconditional love. And and those moments when we're struggling and with our end of ourselves and that we cry out, Daddy, I need you. I've fallen and I've skint my knee and I'm embarrassed and I'm ashamed. He comes and He's a refuge. And not that He hasn't always been there, but it's in those moments that we cry out that we recognize that He's always been by our side. And we think that He's been distracted, but He's always watching, ready to run and to pick us up and to pull us as close as we need and maybe even sometimes kiss the boo-boo. Even though as parents we know there's nothing that happens when we kiss the boo-boo other than the kids say, my parents love me. And there's touch. I think that's why Jesus and most, if not all, of his healings, whenever he would do a healing, he would touch them. Whether they were a leper, whether they were deaf or blind, he would touch them because in that day, whenever you were sick, whenever you were ill, you were an outcast and an outsider and you never you hadn't been touched. And so Jesus would touch. And so there's healing that came with touch, but off the friendship, but then also the healing that came physically. I have life that is unending. You have been adopted. 
This used to be your name. This used to be your destination. This used to be the place where you hung out and you lived. You had no hope. You had no purpose. You had no trust fund. You had nothing to look forward to. Just shame and pain and people, all the stuff of life just sitting upon you. You had to bear it on your own and there was nothing. And now you have, if you've chosen Jesus, now you are an heir of Christ, with Christ. So you're an heir of the Heavenly Father. And the cattle on a thousand hills are yours. The entire thing, it's yours. You're, everything is at his, of His is at your disposal. Just ask and you shall receive. And, and those moments when you cry out, He's there. And the intimacy of what it means, that even sometimes it just means riding in the car with your Father. Sometimes it means just crawling up into His lap and needing nothing else than to just be in the presence of the Father. But sometimes it does mean crying out and him running to you. Sometimes it does mean a family meal sitting down together. But being in the presence of the Father. Quit settling for the old name with no hope, no trust fund. Settle in. Begin to receive the family ring. The clothes that the Father has for you. And the fatted calf that he wants to slaughter for you. To experience the fullness of what it means to be a child of God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for new life. For new name for a new inheritance, for a new purpose, for a new future, for new opportunities, for new ways, for new thoughts, for a new menu, for new appetites. Father, I pray for every single person in this room that has said yes to Jesus. May they be reminded that they are a child of the King. Whether they feel like a child of the King doesn't matter. It's not a matter of feeling. It's a matter of knowing and understanding the truth that saying yes to Jesus makes us an heir to the Father. And that everything, is the, everything that is the Father's is ours. that we need to quit settling for junk. Begin believing and begin living and begin every single day taking a step and standing up straighter, standing up stronger, seeing the world differently as a child of the King and not of our past. Father, we love you. So many times our love for you is conditional upon what we think we need or we want and the gifts that you bestow upon us. But Father, thank you that you love us unconditionally even when we don't live like children with your last name and children of your King in those moments where we disappoint. And Father, you draw us in and say, Reminder, Chris, Sally, John, Susie, 
You're not obligated. You are not obligated by that stuff anymore. You are a child of mine. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. Father, may you whisper that in our ears this morning. We are not obligated to the junk of our past. We are children of the King and heirs of yours. Father, we love you. It's in your son's name that we pray.